the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I will punish those who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. We're talking about a distant God whose default position vis-a-vis the human predicament is not to get involved unless dragged in and dragged down here by special petitionary prayer. And this position is a position that was set forth in the Enlightenment. It's a piece of our own cultural baggage which we still insist on carrying around and its weight becomes greater and greater with each passing year. The clockmaker God, who wound this world up, then set it in motion, then withdrew to wait for us to invoke his presence, is himself a thing of our own devising. A safe God set in a safe place at a safe distance from us. So we can work our way in and out of trouble on our own. Without fear of divine interference, or heaven forbid, fear of divine judgment, fear of the wrath of God, fear of a God who might have an opinion now and again about what we do down here in his divine absence. Well, we should get done with all that and move on. You would agree? Maybe we can do that. We'll see. Enjoying his presence or avoiding it Our task down here is the same. It's to do his bidding, which is to care for his creation. That's the job we're given right at the beginning of the whole thing in Exodus, to care for his creation until he makes himself manifest to all, to the living and the dead, and returns to his creation in such a way that there is no room for equivocation. We see him now, however, by faith or not at all. But our faith shows itself in our actions. Do we fill this waiting time joyfully then in expectation, filling the hours by filling the earth with his glory, tending and caring for all living things? Let me repeat that, all living things few that aren't living as well, we benefit from some help right now, or do we continue to deplete whatever we can grab, grasp, or get our hands on, projecting all the while our own hardness of heart on whatever we have set in the place of the God whose purported absence allows us to fill the emptiness within with all kinds of vain and idolatrous and covetous desires. There's a word that gathers everything up. It's a Greek word. We use it all the time. The word is scleros, hardness, as in cardiosclerosis, cardiosclerosis, if you prefer, hardness of heart. This is the phrase, curie, Lord. Egnon se hoti scleros. I knew you to be a hard a anthropos, a hard person. Anthropos is gender neutral. Master, I knew you, Lord rather, I knew that you were a hard, a severe person. 
and I was afraid. We're now at the heart of where we want to be. The servant who buries the money in the ground acts from a hardened heart. And that heart is hardened by fear. He does so because he imagines that God's heart is hardened too, not by fear, but by anger, that God is harsh, severe, even cruel. He is afraid. He has learned to fear such a God, to stay out of his way, and to live this life playing it safe, warehoused for heaven, or so he hopes. It's hard to love such a God, a God of whom you are afraid, terrorized that one false thought or one false move means you're out. It's hard to believe that such a God loves us. And it's amazing how well the church does on a steady diet of fear and how far the church can go without really ever getting into love at all. Fear is contagious. The great day of the Lord is near, near, and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind, because they have sinned. You could get into this sort of a pattern quite easily. Church would probably do very well. Fear is contagious, and all have sinned. So preach the fear of God, and you will hit a home run every time. Nothing preaches like fear. Every hand goes up, guilty as charged, great sermon pastor. Now, how fast can I get out of here? That's how it goes. But they'll be back. Fear. Now, perfect love casts out fear, so the Bible tells us. But fear is also pretty good at driving out love and keeping it out. Keeping the walls up, the fortified cities, the lofty battlements in here are hardened hearts. For all our focus when we are afraid is on ourselves. Fear is a great motivator, they will say, maybe. But it does not seem to motivate anyone to run out and to invest themselves aggressively in loving the world. In pouring themselves out where the risk is high and the yield is high and the rate of return is high. But you have to go in love, no. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, we'll say. But when fear comes on the scene, we just want to take care. That's what we always say, isn't it? Take care. Watch out for yourself. Take care of yourself. Fear in charge, once again. Well, our guest next week, Canon Andrew White, has some thoughts on these matters, and they're drawn from life. One of his sayings, one among many, he got from his mentor, Lord Coggan, Donald Coggan, the 101st Archbishop of Canterbury. Coggan had a saying that he passed on to all who would listen. And it said, this is the saying, and I quote, don't take care, take risks. Don't take care, take risks. Don't find yourself saying to someone, well, take care. Coggan says, no, say to them, take risks, we'll meet again. You'll hear it next Sunday, I hope. 
And if you do, it will come from the lips of a man once known when I first knew him, Canon Andrew White, 15 years ago or so, for his splendid oratory, his vibrant conversation, his brilliance as a debater, his eloquence as a preacher, and then as a negotiator, a master mediator, dropped into the midst of some of the most volatile, explosive situations on earth, learning there how to listen hard, how to talk, how to bring everybody together and get everybody out alive. He would say that as formidable as his skills were, he owed everything to his faith. The tragedy into which he also was propelled and the sacrifices he was compelled to make to be a peacemaker as he was drawn more and more again and again to the world's trouble spots did not harden his heart, not for long. And as another kind of hardness, another sclerosis, multiple sclerosis, MS, began to work its way through his body, his heart led him to cast his lot with the beleaguered, endangered and increasingly abandoned Christian community he encountered in Iraq in those post 9-11 days and especially in those days after the withdrawal of the might of American presence there when his work really was at its height. Resisting then to follow those who left, the easy retreat, the honorable discharge, to repair to the arms of family and friends within the comfortable confines of Coventry Cathedral, White chose or was chosen to stay and risk his life with those who daily faced persecution, disenfranchisement, and death. He cast in his lot with those for whom a baptism was indeed tantamount to a sentence of death. He would describe how there might be eight adult baptisms and by the next Sunday, maybe six of those had been killed for their statement of faith. And yet he said again and again that he was never in a congregation of Christians where there was more joy. He says this, whether they be Chaldean, Syrian Orthodox, or Evangelical, these people are still able to praise God. This is not to say they do not fear or that they are exempt from suffering from time to time. They have been able to fix their eyes, however, on another place, where one day they will be free from the sufferings of earthly life. Why does a God of love allow evil? These are not the questions that Iraq's Christians ask. They have faith, in other words. They have love and they have hope. The apostle says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. Let me say it again. For God has not destined us for wrath. Wrath is finished for the Christian. It belongs in the rear view mirror. 
It has no business being used as a motivation in the Christian church. God has not destined us for wrath. That's what it says. God has not destined us for wrath. It's about faith then, not fear. And those who have faith will receive more of what they already have. And there is no limit on what they can do with that faith if they invest that again and again in a wounded world. God has not destined us for wrath. God's heart, God's desire is that all shall come to him. That none in the end who will see him as he is will be able to resist his love his goodness, and his beauty will be able to do anything but throw themselves at his feet, saying, my Lord and my God. And we are among that number. Amen.